Pastor Chris's podcast. Moses, you claim your God can drive us to submission. We survived the Nile turning to blood. You thought my people were afraid of frogs? The lice and flies but were but a mild inconvenience. Our cattle may be dead, but the Egyptian people are strong and will recover with the protection of the goddess Hathor. Your one god cannot possibly overpower all of our gods. I will keep your people in bondage, as this is how the gods of Egypt are providing for us. With their power, I will keep Egypt great. Moses, why are you reaching into the ashes? Stop! Stop him! Ah! Exodus 9, verses 8 through 12. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from a brick kiln and have Moses toss it into the air while Pharaoh watches. The ashes will spread like fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, causing festering boils to break out on people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from the brick kiln and went and stood before Pharaoh. As Pharaoh watched, Moses threw the soot into the air, and boils broke out on people and animals alike. Even the magicians were unable to stand before Moses because the boils had broken out on them and all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and just as the Lord had predicted to Moses, Pharaoh refused to listen.
one by one. Then there's Gaston Pharaoh, the last one took his son. Then there's Gaston Pharaoh, he'd say it one by one. There's Gaston Pharaoh, the last one took his son. I love that. That one was done by Jeremy, our tech minister, and he did a very creative job in uh, telling the story of the fifth, was it the sixth plague? The sixth plague, the plague of boils. So do you remember so far all the plagues that we have had? There was number one, blood. Number two, frogs. Number three, gnats. Number four, flies. Number five, the death of the livestock. And then today we're looking at boils. And then coming up in the coming weeks, we will look at hail and locusts and darkness and then the death of the firstborn son. Um, God used these plagues to prove to Pharaoh and to Egypt and to everyone that there is only one God. Yahweh, the great I am, the Lord of all. He said in Exodus 12, 12, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. And in Exodus 17, 17, he said, by this, you will know that I am the Lord. But it was really hard for ancient Egyptians to accept that there was only one God and that he was the great I am. Ancient Egypt was a great civilization that had lasted for 3,000 years. Now, just to put things in perspective, you know, Jesus was born a long time ago, right? Jesus was born about 2,000 years ago. That's a long time. And yet we are closer to the birth of Jesus than Jesus was to the birth of Egypt because that was 3,000 years. So almost 5,100 years ago, Egypt began as an empire. And they were a great civilization. And one of the ways they demonstrated their greatness was by building impressive monuments. Each successive pharaoh had a, felt a, a great pressure to build bigger and better structures and cities to demonstrate that they were greater than all the pharaohs that came before them. This was a heavy burden that forced pharaohs to marshal all of the resources of their empire to build these tremendous structures. Tens of thousands of laborers and slaves, and they would construct buildings, and many of these buildings were even tombs that they would use to glorify their legacy. For example, in order to build the Great Pyramid of Giza, it took about 3,000 people 20 years at a cost of $1.2 billion by today's standards. That's an incredible amount of money. And I can't even imagine the pressure that it puts on a person to live up to people's expectations that you are God. And these pharaohs believed this about themselves. Can you imagine trying, thinking that you are God and you have to live up to that pressure? And, you know, we, we can't remember where our keys are half the time. 
Can you imagine trying to pretend that you are God and actually believing it? But this is what the pharaohs did. Egypt believed in thousands of gods and goddesses of which Pharaoh was an earthly representative. But because life is so unpredictable and life in the ancient world was incredibly unpredictable, the Egyptians believed that the gods could either bless them or curse them. And sometimes they would bless them one day and curse them the next. Therefore, the Egyptians sought to appease and control their deities through sacrifices and magical incantations. Much of the mysterious writing which we find decorating Egyptian tombs and buildings were magical spells intended to ward off evil spirits and enlist the help of more benevolent ones. Among the thousands of Egyptian gods, one important goddess was named Sekhmet, the goddess of war and healing. She is depicted often as a lioness with a lion head and a human body. She was seen as the protector of the pharaohs and led them to warfare, to victory. And upon death, Sekhmet continued to protect them and to bring them into the afterlife. But Sekhmet, though she was supposed to be powerful, the powerful god of war and have the incredible power of healing, she could not do anything when Moses reached into the brick kiln for a handful of dust. Now, it says that he reached into a brick kiln. Do you remember the story we had several weeks ago that included Egyptians and the Hebrews and bricks? The Hebrews were slaves charged with making bricks that the Egyptians used to build all of these massive public building projects. Their slave labor helped to make it possible. And this furnace probably was a furnace they used to harden those bricks. And Moses reaches in, grabs a handful of ashes, and as it spreads across the land, boils come upon all of the Egyptians from head to foot. But not a single Israelite was affected by this plague. Can you imagine these Egyptians who felt that they were the greatest people on earth and they are being afflicted by these awful boils while they are looking at the slaves, the people that they think are less than human and they are being spared while the Egyptians are being afflicted. Where is the protection and healing of the Egyptian goddess? It is nowhere to be found because she has no power whatsoever to stop Yahweh, the great I am. What are our gods today? According to Timothy Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. We have our idols today as well. According to the Beatles, all you need is love. You remember that song, don't you? Well, God made us for love and to love. 
And there is a deep longing in every human heart for love. Unfortunately, instead of finding love in God and in healthy human relationships, we usually turn to love into an idol where sex and romance takes the place of God in our hearts. These are so, such important idols in our culture, we don't even see them as idols. We don't even recognize that we're worshiping a false god. In fact, I may get in trouble today just for exposing the myths that so many of us have about love. Because nobody likes it when you smash their idol. The general myth of love in our culture right now is portrayed in a thousand movies and love songs. And it's a powerful myth that so many people have bought into. We sing love songs and we believe the lies even though we know that they're unrealistic and too simple. We watch movies with teary eyes and, and yearning in our soul. The myth is embedded in our worldview. We accept it as truth without even thinking about it. The details of each story are different, but in general, the myth goes something like this. A little girl begins dreaming from an early age that one day she will have a beautiful wedding that celebrates her ultimate achievement, finding true love. For out there somewhere is a man created just for her, her soulmate, the one who will fulfill her deepest needs. He will be tall, dark, and handsome. Or maybe you don't like tall, dark, and handsome. Maybe you like short, light, and something else. But you put in whatever physical characteristics you want because, you know, the, the details of how he looks are different for every person, and they don't really matter that much anyway. What really matters is who the man is. The girl's greatest dream is that she will find her one true love, and he will fall madly in love with her. He will get down on one knee and with the most creative and romantic proposal, he will ask her to marry him. And they will have a beautiful wedding, the wedding of her dreams, and they will spend the rest of their lives together. And he will cherish her and he will give her everything she needs. And they will have kids and, they, and he will take care of her and her family and always make her happy. And they will live happily ever after. Now, all you have to do is fill in the details a little bit, expand the story, maybe throw in a few plot twists and some, some antagonism along the way, some misunderstandings, and you have the makings of a movie that will make millions on the silver screen. You can do that. Go ahead. You have my permission to use it. You don't even have to pay me any royalties. Men have a slightly different love myth. But it pairs well with the feminine myth. Men grow up believing that somewhere there is a woman so incredibly attractive, he will know that she is the one the minute he sees her. He will be so smitten with her, he will do anything to win her love. She will be everything he's ever wanted in a girl. Because of her, he won't even want to look at another woman ever again. Sex with her will be so amazing, it will be, it will be transcendental. Therefore, he will gladly dedicate his life to making her happy, and she will 
cherish him as her provider and her protector and her hero. And he will gladly sacrifice for her because life without her will be meaningless. But these are the kind of things, fairy tales, that we tell ourselves. And it's just harmless stuff, right? Except that somewhere deep down inside, we believe it. We believe it, hook, line, and sinker. And the fact is that there is no woman and no man out there that can live up to the myth we've made up in our mind. And so many times people enter into marriage and they will spend literally twenty or $30,000 on a wedding to celebrate this dream that has finally come true. And within 10 years become so disillusioned with the fantasy when it doesn't turn out to be all that they made it up to be in their mind. Tragically, this kind of thinking actually hinders true love because love is not what another person does for you. Love is what you do for others. Love is sacrificial. It's not about how the other person makes you feel or what they do for you. Love is giving without expecting anything in return. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us the characteristics of true love, where it says love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. And Jesus dying on the cross for sinful humanity is the image of perfect love. In fact, the Bible doesn't tell us a fairy tale to explain what love between a husband and a wife is like. Instead, the Bible says Jesus Christ and how he died for us on the cross, that is the symbol of a love between a husband and a wife. The very first of the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20 says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. This commandment lays the groundwork for all of the other laws and regulations that God gave. Why is it so important to God that we worship him and him only? Why is God so jealous? What's that all about? Well, God is actually very, very selfless. He's not wanting us to worship him because he has a big ego. He's thinking of us in all of these commands. You see, if you have any other gods, you will not be able to love God. And you will not be able to experience God's for you, love for you in its fullness. When we cut God out of the first place in our heart, 
The problem is it leaves a huge hole. It leaves us desperately in need of a kind of love that no other thing or person or anything can fill except God, the one we cut out. Our deepest desire is love. And it's the only kind of love that God is able to give. So many of the love songs and love stories that we cherish, we cherish because they portray an idealized love that only God can give. But we put the burden on a person. But when we seek that love from mere mortals, they will not be able to live up to the task. We will always be woefully disappointed. Meanwhile, expecting that love from people cuts us off from the one true source of perfect love, God Almighty. So it's not that God is spiteful and refuses to love us if we love someone else besides him. That's not it. Amazingly, it's amazing that he still loves us despite our unfaithfulness. Let me give you an illustration. Suppose you're married and you cheat on your spouse. You have damaged that relationship in a very deep and hurtful way. Even if your spouse stays with you, there will be an offense in your relationship that hinders your relationship. And this illustrates our condition with God. We have broken it by our sin. Every time we turn to an idol, we are cheating on God. We are chasing after fulfillment in some fantasy that, we, that can never deliver what it promises. But we chase this fantasy until we realize that it's just a fantasy. And then we either decide that we're going to live in the illusion or we reject it and we seek fulfillment in some other way. More often than not, it's by chasing some other fantasy. And we will chase fantasy after fantasy, seeking something that it cannot give us. All the while, our one true love is watching, heartbreaking, as he sees not only our betrayal and our unfaithfulness, but also he knows with his all-knowing wisdom that we are chasing after the air while inflicting wound after wound after wound upon our soul. And so God looked down on all the earth and saw that it was full of broken people chasing broken dreams. And God came as Jesus the Christ, and he lived among us. He is the perfect representation of true love. It is not that we loved him, but he loved us. While we were still sinners, Christ came 
and died for us. He has made a way for us to come back to him. Won't you repent of your sins and turn to God? Stop believing the lie that there is some person out there whose love is going to complete you. Only God through Christ can complete you. And when you trust him, he will save you and he will teach you to love others, maybe even love someone that you could marry. But even if you remain single for the rest of your life, you will still be complete. Because in Christ, you have everything you truly need. And until you fully recognize that, you're really not fully prepared to love someone else anyway.